Well, I'm up here. I'm in a suit, so that must mean it's Father's Day. Uh, my name is Mark, and it is truly an honor, a privilege that I do not take lightly to be able to stand behind this pulpit or music stand and share the Word of God with you today. So thank you so much for that opportunity, as though you had a choice. But um, you do have a choice on where you would attend this morning, and there's this little church called Willow Creek. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, in case you're wondering, they have John Maxwell preaching this morning. So apparently when I turned them down, they figured who's the best leadership guy they can get, and John Maxwell's available, fortunately for them. And another thing they're doing today is for their dad's fest is uh, Tom Ricketts from the Cubs is going to be there, and they're trying to set a world record for the most people playing catch, uh, and they're going to do that after service. We're not doing that. Um, <laughs> But I'm thinking, you know, what's a world record we can set today? And as I was thinking about that, I'm looking at all these uh, frosted bottles over here. And I'm thinking we can set a record for the most frosted bottles being drunk by men in a church. Uh, we can break the record set by the Lutherans. And, uh, but ours is only root beer. So, uh, guys, I do want to offer that up to you. Dad's root beer, before you leave today, all men, uh, boys, feel free to come up and get one bottle, not a case of root beer as your, as your Father's Day present. And uh, I want you all to know that, it, that you've all been prayed for today, that I've been praying as preparing this message for each one of you that will be hearing it, that you will hear from God, that you will hear from His Word, and that your life will be affected uh, through Him. So, like I said, my name is Mark, and I lead Men of Valor here. Uh, you can see up on the screen, that is our new Men of Valor logo that Laura has worked uh, on and put together. So, you'll be seeing more of that. It has our core verse on it, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, which is also my life verse. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. And that is my mission verse, and I'm going to be talking about mission this morning, and that is a verse that drives me throughout my life. Speaking of John Maxwell, he has a statement that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And that was what drove me several years ago to come up with this idea of our influence seminar for men every fall. And so this September, uh, the lineup is now official, and we're on September 23rd, guys, plan ahead now. That morning is going to be our fifth influence seminar. Now it sounds important. It's a fifth annual influence seminar. I think what that fifth is wood, or what's that anniversary? I don't know. So, um, but anyway, fifth influence seminar. And so I'm very excited to have our speakers, our main speaker, Shane Holden, a pastor, a friend of mine. Uh, we have uh, Pastor Tom Kennington, who many of you know. He's served here. He's someone that we support as a church in the Southside Christian Center. Uh, pastor Brian Nelson, a friend of mine, associate pastor of the Bridge Church, uh, author, counselor, Rich Blue. Um, some of you in this room may know Rich. He's spoken here before at uh, different marriage events and that, an outstanding uh, quality speaker. And uh, another guy you may recognize we've had many years. Um, when I can't fill up my roster, I just call my dad, and there he is. So uh, my dad will be coming again, and uh, he's, you know, all joking aside, one of our most popular speakers every time because of the depth of which he shares. So uh, very excited to share this group with you, and uh, hopefully you will plan on attending on September 23rd. 
Well, men, happy Father's Day. This is all you're going to get from me about Father's Day. My message was birthed uh, several weeks ago, and it's not a father's message. But it's a message that fathers can apply, but it's not a strictly father's message. But I do want to acknowledge you. And I want to read a poem by Edgar Guest that talks about fathering. It's been an inspiration to me, and hopefully it'll inspire you also. Only a dad with a tired face coming home from the daily race, bringing little of gold or fame to show how well he has played the game, but glad in his heart that his own rejoice to see him come and to hear his voice. Only a dad with a brood of four, one of 10 million men or more, plodding along in the daily strife, bearing the whips and the scorns of life, with never a whimper of pain or hate for the sake of those who at home await. Only a dad, neither rich nor proud, merely one of the surging crowd, toiling, striving from day to day, facing whatever may come his way, silent whenever the harsh condemn, and bearing it all for the love of them. Only a dad, but he gives his all, to smooth the way for his children small, doing with courage stern and grim the deeds that his father did for him. This is the line for him I pen. Only a dad, but the best of men. We have a lot of great men in this room. We have a lot of great fathers in this room. I've been able to serve alongside of you dads and uh, men of valor. And years ago when Kelly Spencer and I were leading the dads group, I was able to serve alongside you and learn alongside of you then. And I'm so proud of the fathers that are in this room. The fact that you're in this room, you could be doing so much more today, not more, so many different things today. You could be out golfing, you could be hunting, you could be fishing, you could be sleeping, whatever it is. You could be eating burnt cornflakes. But you chose to be in church with your family and make that a priority. And so for that, I say congratulations. So I would like to acknowledge the fathers that are in this room. So dads, would you do me a favor and stand up? And the rest of us, let's applaud these men for making it a priority. Good job, guys. Good job. The writer of Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his children after him. The work you're doing, dads, is not in vain. It has reward, it has impact, it has influence beyond that which you will ever know. So rest assured that you are not laboring in vain. And so dads, today, because of all your great work, you get a bottle of root beer. And uh, it was kind of funny last night after service, I'm just up here talking and I'm watching people <laughs> walking around with bottles and it just, you know, looked like a college party. Um, so I, I stopped short of getting the root beer keg, I thought that might be pushing it, but the dad's root beer bottles I think will be okay. So guys, again, afterwards, come on up, grab yourself uh, a bottle of root beer and all men and boys too, not just dads. So where this message came from. So several weeks ago, I got something in the mail. I got a, a card that many of you probably have received if you are 18 and older and a citizen of the United States. Uh, you get this card in the mail that says you are hereby ordered to attend jury duty. 
Now, when you get that jury duty card, it has this nice little phone number you can call if you have a conflict. Well, the letter I received was not one that had a little phone number. It was brighter, it was more important looking, and it said special grand jury. And there was no option to call and say, I can't make it. It was, you will be there. So I show up and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, all right, it's fine, I'll show up for that first day. As soon as they find out I'm a police officer, they're not gonna choose me because I've been down this road for regular grand jury before. They don't want police officers in the jury. So we go do their interview, probably about 150 of us to choose like 12, 15 people. And they read the names, and the fourth name they read off is Mark Bechtold, as chosen. And I'm thinking, what a coincidence in Cook County that there's another guy in this room <laughs> named Mark Bechtold. But I'm looking around and no other guy is standing. I'm thinking, oh. So right away, I immediately text Jody. And I text her with an exclamation point. Now, I don't usually use exclamation marks, or I don't usually use all caps. I often get those from my wife, but I don't send those out. And so this one said, I was picked. And I couldn't believe it. But then my second text to her was, God must want me here. And I didn't know what the plan was going to be, but God must want me here. It was really easy to have a good attitude then, not knowing that five weeks later I'm still going to be there. But in a special grand jury, you were there. It's a five-week chunk of time. You know that up front. Monday through Friday, down to 26 in California. My seven-minute commute to work turned into over an hour and 15 minutes each way. And this was my new reality for five weeks. So that first morning as I was praying there, because I had a lot of time to pray now, and as I was praying on the way down there, my prayer was, God, stretch me beyond where I am comfortable. Use me beyond where I am comfortable in this jury. But then immediately the thought came to me, my prayer should not be stretch me beyond what I am comfortable, but God, make me comfortable with what you are comfortable with. And it's not about comfort. That was the word I was using, but it's not about comfort. But what I was basically saying was, God, align my heart with your heart. Don't just stretch me, but make my heart your heart. Break my heart with what breaks yours. And as I was reflecting on the life of Jesus on the way down, the question came to me, what is it that drives Jesus? What is it that drove him in his ministry? What is it that fueled his passion? And so many things are coming to my mind, and so many things come to your mind, I'm sure, when you think of what fueled and what fired up Jesus. But we're going to focus on three aspects of it this morning. First off, Jesus was confident in his mission. He was confident of his mission. You see this repeatedly different ways as Jesus talks about his mission. He says that he came to seek and save the lost. Jesus also says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I have come from heaven not to do my will but the will of the Father. These are a few of the statements of Jesus about himself and about his mission. And I think of it even as a child. So speaking of children, I got a couple of mine over there. And uh, Wyatt, yes, the one raising his hand. Do me a favor, stand up real quick. All right, that's Wyatt. He's 12 years old. You can sit down now. So Wyatt is, 
Why it's 12, yes, congratulations on making it to 12. Why, why it's 12 years old. And as a 12-year-old, Jesus was lost by his parents, Mary and Joseph, when they went to town and they realized as they're walking back, whoa, 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 where is he? Now, for Jody and I, it would be impossible to lose Wyatt because you know when Wyatt's not there. There's a quietness, a stillness that overtakes things. <laughs> but as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus was lost. And what did Jesus say about his mission then? He said, I had to be about my father's business as a 12-year-old boy. So boys and girls, I say to you too, you can have a mission in your life the way Jesus had a mission in his life. And I would ask all of us, do you have a mission in your life? Do you have a defined mission in your life? I think of all the pet causes that celebrities have and just watch the Oscars and you'll hear all of them go on and on, not about all the people who got them there, but about all their causes. And they'll talk about all those causes. And I think when I hear that stuff, someday they're going to stand before God and they're going to have to give an account for this pet cause of theirs, that that was their life's work and life's mission. Our life's work and our life's mission should be bigger than that. So I think uh, as police officer, I have to go shoot every now and then. I have to go shoot periodically. And we have range officers that are in charge of our shooting program. Now, if I were to go down, uh, and a few of us officers were to go down, and as soon as we walk in the door and the range officer yells, shoot, and we would be, we're not even in the range yet, we don't know what to do, we would just pull out our guns and start shooting, that would be a little chaotic. But what a range officer does is we get down there, we get all set up, line us up on the line, hang a target, and the range officer says, okay, hang a fresh target, aim center mass, fire. Well, now we have a target. We have something to aim for. It's orderly. It's not chaotic. This is our lives. Do we just go through randomly shooting, not knowing what we're shooting at? Do we let life happen to us, or do we take control of it? Do we hang that target? Do we have something that we are striving for, that we are reaching for? When someone asks you, how are you doing, do you say, oh, another day, another dollar? or same stuff, different day, or same old, same old. Those are lines that show that you are letting life happen to you. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We are called to be accountable for our time. To gain a heart of wisdom, we have to have a target. We have to have a goal. We have to have a defined mission. Another benefit of being on the special grand jury was I had opportunity to read a lot. So I got through a few books, and one of them, a book that I recommend, called The Art of Neighboring. And there's a quote from the author on the art of neighboring about this idea of purpose and mission. No question, we all have limited time and energy. And if we don't purposely, purposefully choose how we will spend it, those choices will be made for us. In essence, we just let life happen. Passively. Time spent surfing the internet, playing video games, or just watching reruns of our favorite sitcoms won't amount to anything of value. We need to have purpose, a defined mission. And we need to have it in multiple areas of our life. 
You know, I think, again, like I mentioned, when, when Kelly and I realized as our kids were younger um, that uh, this would be Kelly Spencer. I'm not married to someone named Kelly. Uh, but my friend Kelly and I, when we realized our kids were younger, we needed help doing this, especially at that point. We had, Kelly had two girls, I had three girls, and we were way over our heads. Now we've got it all mastered and figured out, and our kids have fallen in line like the family Von Trapp. But uh, back then, we were trying to figure this out. And so we came to each other and said, let's do this dad's group and just see what other dads want to join us. And we defined our mission of striving, of trying to learn to be better dads, to raise families the way God would have us lead our families. So I'm asking you, what is the mission for your family? Is your mission for your family, for your kids to be polite, uh, for them to get good grades, to be good in sports? Or maybe it's something different, to have an intimate relationship with Jesus that will stick, that once they turn 18, once they leave the house, that that relationship will stay forever. What's your mission for your neighborhood? To have the best lawn? Maybe your mission in your neighborhood is to avoid your neighbors. Or maybe it's to be that wet blanket that calls the police for every little thing that your neighbor does. Or perhaps your mission's a little different. To actually know your neighbor's names, know their stories, and to serve them selflessly. What is your mission for your job? Maybe your mission for your job is just to collect a check. Maybe your mission for your job is to be at your job as little as possible. But maybe your mission for your job is something bigger, something grander. To do all things to the glory of God. To do your job without grumbling or complaining, as the Apostle Paul says. Kids, what is your mission at school? To not fail? It's a worthy mission, but it should it be beyond that. Is it to be popular? To have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Or maybe it's to have the eyes of Jesus, to look at your friends in that way, to look for victims, to be able to help them, to be able to support them, to be able to be the light in a dark place in a generation that is desperately seeking a relationship with God unbeknownst to them. And what's your mission in your relationship with God? Is it to come to church periodically, maybe on Easter and Christmas and Father's Day? That that is your mission, is to just come to church? Maybe to not do the big sins? Or is your mission in your relationship with God something deeper? To know him as a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Have you thought about these things? Have you talked about it with people that are close to you? Have you written these goals and missions down? If nothing else, I would challenge you this week to take a few minutes. Talk with your spouse about your missions for your family. Talk with a worker or two that you have a good relationship with that has a bigger vision for work and say, what is our purpose here? What is God calling us to do in our workplace? Maybe you have a friend at school that, that's a believer and you're starting to think maybe there's something bigger than just going through the halls at school. Well, don't do it now. It's summertime. Don't think about school. But in the fall, you can do that. The enemy has a mission. The enemy's mission is to kill, to kill steal, and destroy. Makes that very clear in Scripture.
Public schools have a mission. The media has a mission. Advertisers, politicians, there's missions all around us. So if you are not defining your mission, they will define it for you on what you should look like, on how you should feel, on what you should be doing. They are willing to fill in those blanks. But we, like Jesus, are called to have a mission. So as I was preparing this, I was thinking, what is my mission? What do I boil my mission down to? And it is this, to introduce others to Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. I'm not saying it is the right mission for everyone. I'm not saying that that's the perfect mission. I'm just saying for me that that was what was put on my heart because God's going to take care of the rest. My, I'm not going to save anybody, but I need to lead them to Jesus and I need to not get in the way of them meeting Jesus. So my personal mission then is to introduce others to Jesus. And all my decisions either support that or fight against it. Jesus was confident in his mission. What about you? Secondly, Jesus was comfortable with sinners. He was not comfortable with sin, but he was comfortable with sinners. If you open up to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, when Jesus is calling Levi, one of his disciples, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When, Je when, the, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was comfortable with sinners. But don't be mistaken, Jesus did not just come to hang out with sinners. That seems to be a popular phrase, that Jesus hung out. You kind of get this impression that Jesus is just this, this hippie that just kind of hung around and was just there with sinners in and out of people, kind of like in Forrest Gump, the feather just blowing around, that that was Jesus just going from crowd to crowd. Jesus did not just hang out with sinners. This quote from Matt Walsh helps clarify, help clarify this for me. Christ dined with sinners in order to draw them closer to the truth. To the adulteress, he said, sin no more. To anyone who came to him, he said, pick up your cross and follow me. Christ instructed. He exhorted. He commanded. He showed the way. He did not hang out. There was a purpose to all these encounters, and the purpose was always to bring the sinner out of their sin. The purpose, in other words, was to heal them. That is why Jesus came. Over the past week, I had the wonderful opportunity to spend a couple of nights at the emergency room with Lutheran General Hospital. Not for me, a couple of my kids. I mean, you have kids, things happen. They're both fine now. And uh, I enjoyed it so much the first night, so I thought a couple nights later, you know what, I'm going to do this again in the middle of the night. This was great. 
So we went there, I got to spend a few hours in the waiting room at the, at the hospital. And different times we saw different doctors, pediatric doctors, but when we saw the doctors, it was a good experience in the, in the sense that the doctors were very kind. They were kind doctors to the kids. They were very helpful to the kids. They were nice. And they even explained the situation to me. But you know what? There's something lacking. I want something more out of a doctor than a nice person, someone that can explain things. You know what else those doctors did? They set my kids on the path to healing. And that is what Jesus came to do, is the sick that need a doctor. They don't need a guy to hang out with them. They needed someone to lead them towards healing. And that is our call also, to be comfortable around sinners with the purpose of introducing them to the healer. Recently, I've found the moments of people seeking me out as a Christian for answers to be fewer and fewer over the years. You see that in society. You don't see people moving to town looking for a church to go to. A lot of people find church in different ways, online, themselves, whatever it is. They, it's not the same where you come to the town, you move to town, you say, where am I going to go to church? You don't see that as much as you used to. When I talk to people, a lot of times they don't know the Bible verses and songs that I grew up memorizing and grew up singing. It's different times. You know, kids aren't looking for the Christian club in high schools like they did even when I was in high school. I find that out with my own daughters who are at high school, and the Christian club is very sparsely attended. Some of these other clubs for causes have tons of kids in there and take up lots of space in the yearbooks. But the Christian club, not nearly as much. And men are not anxiously awaiting Men of Valor's next Bible study and book study. They're not beating down my door saying, Mark, when are we meeting together again? You know, our last Bible study was outstanding. It was amazing. And by the end, we had four, maybe five guys that would come to that. And it was great. So this is not me up here complaining. We're not just going to sit here and complain about, well, society is a godless society. And we're not saying that. Just times are different. So what are we going to do about those realities? Well, we need to do what Jesus did. We need to seek out the lost. We need to go to where they are and find them. So instead of in a church pew, it might be chatting with your neighbor on the front porch. Instead of at a men's breakfast, it might be watching a ball game at a sports bar with a couple of guys. Instead of at a Bible study, it might be a book discussion at the public library. Instead of kids at a VBS or a youth group, the kids might, be not, might, might not be looking to come to those places. It might be checking in on a friend whose parents are going through a hard divorce and the kids having a tough time with it. We need to be seeking those who are lost. Just like Jesus sought out the lost. We see those examples in the life of Jesus too, that he had Scripture says he had to go through Samaria to meet with the Samaritan woman. But we know geographically he did not have to go through there. That was actually out of the way. But Jesus had a bigger mission in mind, so he had to go through Samaria. He called out to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He didn't say, hey, come meet me at the temple. I'm coming to your house today. He met Nicodemus, a Pharisee, privately in the middle of the night. 
And that's where we read John chapter 3. And it's where that, the verse of John 3.16 comes from. It says, meeting with a Pharisee, a religious leader in the middle of the night, saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was comfortable with sinners. So my question to you is, what are you doing to seek the lost? How are you building relationships? And thirdly, Jesus had compassion for the untouchables. We see this through people in, script, in uh, Jesus' time, the lepers, those with skin diseases that were unclean, that were not associated with, the blind, the poor, children, women who at that time were second-class citizens. Jesus revolutionized all of that. Others that were considered untouchable by the religious establishment. Jesus had compassion for them. So I began thinking, who do I spend my time with, the majority of my time? Well, it's people that act like me, think like me, look like me, and like me. Which is why I have a very small group of friends. But I hang out with a lot of people that are like me. Jesus did not hang out with a lot of people that were like him. And he didn't hang out with people that necessarily liked him. Obviously, they got to the point where they crucified him. So jury duty was outstanding in that it put me in a room with a dozen people for five weeks of diverse backgrounds, races, ages, cultures, worldviews, and I absolutely loved it. The opportunity to be with so many people from different walks of life that I normally would not find myself hanging out with was wonderful. And so I had a great, great conversations with them. I was able to pray with different people there. And, and early on, they knew I was a police officer. And so I became the one that they would ask all their police questions to in these, as these cases would be presented before us. And hopefully I gave them a good picture of what a police officer is supposed to be. They also knew that I loved Jesus. That was clear early on. And it wasn't this big intentional thing by me, but I figure, you know what, if I love Jesus, the thing I'm going to talk about is what's most important to me, and that was Jesus, and that was my faith. And so I had opportunities to share that with other people. And by the end of these five weeks, I hope that these people knew that I was not loving them to convert them, but that the opposite would be true, that because I've been converted by Jesus, I was loving them. And I was able to have great relationships within that room. I want to close with a story of one of the untouchables that I had the opportunity to share with over those few weeks. Now, this is not the most profound story. Sorry to let you down. And many of you may do things like this much more than I do. But you don't have a microphone, so you don't get to talk about it. So I'm going to share the story about me from this the past few weeks here. And one thing I need to share with you is, and some of you may be aware of this about me, and this has helped me professionally, but has hurt me personally, unfortunately. I am blessed with the gift, the spiritual gift of cynicism. Now, I don't know in the Bible where that's found, that that is a gift of God, but I'm hoping someday I'll find it because I feel like I have that gift in abundance. The gift of cynicism. 
And uh, where this has come to hurt me a lot of times um, is that I run into homeless people. And um, through the job, I see a lot of people that take advantage this way, that, that, that they're begging and they're asking for money and they have their kids out in the scorching heat and find out that their story is not exactly what they're portraying. So that feeds my cynicism. Well, this came into play that every day when I would get off the I-290 exit at 25th Street, that there was this disheveled man walking up and down traffic there with a cardboard sign asking for money. And I'm sure you've seen these people that a lot of times at highway exits that they're doing this. So I began looking at these encounters and encounters with someone like him, not as the cynically gifted Mark, but thinking to myself, God, how would you handle an encounter with someone like this? It's a dangerous thought. And so a few weeks into it then, as I, as I got, um, this was my last week on jury duty, I was stuck in traffic on the exit there, and he was walking down. I waved him over, rolled down my window, and gave him a few dollars and said, hey, what's your name? Told me his name was Derek. So I said, Derek, traffic's backed up here. Can I pray for you? He said, sure, we can all use prayer. So I reached out, grabbed Derek by the hand, prayed for him right there, a blessing over him and a blessing over whoever he was responsible for in his life. And that was it. He said, thanks, and he moved on, and I moved on. So the next day, I'm thinking, you know, I want to give this guy a book because I have a book that I give out to people um, that it's called More Than a Carpenter. You may be familiar with it, but it's a book that I hand out to people that I have somewhat of a relationship with to help introduce them to Jesus. So the next day, I came and I had my book ready. Well, I didn't see him there, so I was a little discouraged. So I had my book again the next day, went down there, and this was my last day at the grand jury. And I got off, and traffic was really good that day. So we just drove right by, and I saw him on the corner, and then turned and started going on my way. I'm thinking, ah, I didn't get to say goodbye to him. And then I'm thinking, you know what? Jesus was a very busy person. But Jesus was never rushed. And right in that moment, I was feeling rushed. <clears throat> so I did a U-turn, pulled off to the side street there, which is about a block away from that intersection where I was. Uh, reached in my bag, grabbed the water that I was going to have for my lunch, um, grabbed a $5 bill, stuck it in the book as a bookmark, and jogged out to meet him. And so I go running over there to Derek, and I saw him slumped over on the corner there, and I Derek, Derek, from across the street, and he looked up and kind of waved. I stopped traffic and walked over to him. And when I saw him, he looked up, and the first thing he said kind of made me laugh. He's like, man, where's your truck? And I'm thinking, oh, well, it's right over there. I parked it down there because the traffic was going, and he, his expression just was kind of confused. And he said something that's never going to leave my mind. He said, you came back for me? I said, of course I did, Derek. That if I didn't come back, who else is going to pray with you today? He said, all right, brother. Smiled at me, had no teeth. So on the corner of 25th and the I-290 exit, 
grabbed Derek by the hands, and we prayed again. Gave him the book, and I said, Derek, this book has meant a lot to me. I said, do something with his money, and here's a water for you. He smiled at me with no teeth and said, man, you made my day. And I left, got in my truck, and drove off. It wasn't forced. It wasn't weird. He wasn't a target for me. I just wanted to go back for him. So right away, no, it's all right. right away I thought of a scripture as I was driving away. Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Think of Isaiah. It says, all we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. But he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because you know what? Each one of us was untouchable because of our sin. Each one of us is separate from God because of our sin and our pride and our choices. But God does not wish that any of us should perish. So who are the untouchables God is calling you to reach out to, to seek? Who is he calling you to introduce him to? Jesus was confident in his mission. He was comfortable with sinners. He had compassion for the untouchables. Let's close in prayer. Lord, on this Father's Day, we humbly approach you, our Father who is in heaven, the Father to the fatherless, the everlasting Father. We, your children, seek your wisdom this day. Impart to us your mission. Open our eyes to the vast harvest waiting on us to respond to your call. May we know the depths from which you have saved us so we can better serve and live with compassion toward those who are deemed untouchable by the world's standards. I pray for those here that may have been introduced to you recently, even today. Show them your love. Show them the love of your people, and as they seek your face, reveal the reality of your magnificent presence to them. In Jesus' name I pray.